Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. family. If you guys got your Bibles, uh, let's head over to John chapter 13. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, man, before uh, we get anywhere, I just want to, man, I, I just, I always feel like if we stop celebrating unique and powerful things God does in our midst, he, he's going to stop doing them. So I'm never going to stop celebrating them. Um, last night at the Saturday 6 p.m. service, which by the way, that one's awesome. And there's lots of parking spaces. It's really great. So last night at that service, um, we, uh, there was a, a young lady named Kirsten Boone, was Lake Point's 2,000th baptism this year. Come on, somebody, man. 2,000th baptism this year in 2023. And oh, man, just can't wait to see uh, what happens the rest of the year. I also want to celebrate this. So obviously this weekend we test drove something that we, we haven't done before called Serve Your City Weekend. We just like mobilized every life group we got. Um, to be out all over DFW, just meeting needs, serving people in Jesus' name. Um, I am incredibly uh, honored, overwhelmed to announce. So yesterday, there was more than 4,500 Lake Pointers out serving the city at 200 sites. 14,000 man hours served all throughout our city. Hey, Lake Point family, can we just like thank those people that were, uh, that's right, man, out and man, in apartment complexes and schools. And it, it was awesome, man. Well, um, I want to talk about um, why, why we went all in on Serve Your City Weekend. So I'm, I'm, I'm starting a series today called Can't Stop, Won't Stop. You'll see why. And I, I want to talk about the heart of a servant. Now, um, before I talk about this at all, I need you to understand that, um, that we are not naturally born servants. In fact, I want, I want to give an example. I'm about to find out uh, where all my friends are at. Where are my friends at? Who's got dogs? Who's got a dog? Anybody got a dog? Man, I love you all so much. I love y'all. Where, where are my cat people? Where are you at, man? I'm not putting my, I'm so sorry, man. I, I just, we're praying for y'all. And there are plenty of great churches in DFW. You know, you, that's, that's a joke. That's a joke. Uh, somebody, somebody sent this to me and uh, I found this at predictably very funny. Uh, how, so is how, how you can tell the difference between a dog and a cat. I got a point for this. There's a point to this. Um, a dog says, you feed me, you clothe me, you shelter me, you must be God. A cat, some of y'all see where this is going. A cat says, you feed me, you clothe me, you shelter me. I must be God. <laughs> okay. Now, what I want to say is, here's my point, is that some people actually do this with their theology. That there are actually two different theologies. And if you're paying attention, you'll see them out there in the world. And here's what it is. Like, uh, dog theology is, man, um, I exist to serve God. But some people, without even knowing it, they get like this cat theology in their head that God exists to serve me. Can I just say something? Down with cat theology. 
We're done. We want, we want, we be, be, want to be done with Kathy. Yeah, because we do this. Sometimes we start to think that, man, the reason God exists is to serve me, to make a big deal out of me, to lift me up, to meet all of my needs. But y'all remember, we exist to serve God, to glorify God, to meet his needs, to, 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 to rise to his callings. And this is the entire reason we exist. But the problem is we are not naturally born with the heart of a servant. Um, sometimes you'll, you'll really see this. It's, it really stands out. Have you ever had this experience? Uh, I'm going to talk to husbands for a second here. You ever had this experience looking at family pictures with your wife? And, and here's what I mean. It's like you, you, you look at a family picture, not that this ever happens in the Howerton house. You look at a family picture and you, you're trying to figure out, is this a good picture or not? And you look at it with your wife and like everybody could look amazing in the picture. But if she's got one strand of hair out of place, bad picture. That's a bad picture. That's a bad picture. Okay. Now, on the other hand, uh, she, if she looks good and everybody else in the picture looks undead, great picture. That's a great picture. That's a great picture. And you see, there's just this natural thing in us to view the world through the lens of me. How does this affect me? And can I be really honest? Sometimes people bring this selfishness into the church and they think that the purpose of the church is to meet and serve their preferences. Uh, you know, not that this ever happens at Lake Point. We have an amazing worship team. But every now and then, somebody will say something like this to me in the lobby. Hey, pastor, I really didn't like the worship today. And I always want to fire right back. That's okay. We weren't worshiping you anyway. <laughs> you see, but we'll do this. We will start to bring into the church this selfish mindset that the whole purpose of this thing is to meet my preferences and my needs. But Jesus Christ, what he did in the passage we're about to read is he stooped to the floor. He took the low job. He put his needs last and he took the form of a servant and said, I exist to serve my master. Now I want to set this up really quick because we're getting ready to read one of the most important passages in the entire New Testament. So let me set the scene really quick. In what you're about to read, there came a moment in the last day of Jesus' life where a sharp crack was heard throughout a room. When that sharp crack echoed through the room, 12 other heads snapped to the corner. And as that door closed, echoing the sharp crack, a countdown timer started ticking down in Jesus' head from 24 hours. We know that because the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus, quote, knew that his hour had come. What that means is for the rest of his ministry, Jesus had been waiting for the moment when he, as the Lamb of God, would sacrifice himself for the sins of the world. He'd been waiting for this moment. But the second that door closed, the Bible tells us Jesus, quote, knew his hour had come. 24 hours ticking down. Jesus, in the next 15 minutes with his disciples in that upper room at the Last Supper, you've seen the painting, 13 dudes on one side of the table, great for a painting, weird seating arrangement. Jesus, in that moment, knew he had 15 minutes to lay everything on the table that would set the course for the rest of human history. Make no mistake, the reason you are sitting here today is because of what Jesus said in the next 15 minutes. As soon as this began to happen, as that door closed, Jesus walked to the back of the room, the Bible tells us, and he picked up two things, a towel and a foot washing basin. The second he picked up that basin, everyone in the room, here's what the disciples would have thought. They would have been thinking, oh, please not me. Oh, please not me. Please not me. Very specifically, they would have been saying this, please don't let me be 13. Please don't let me be 13. Not 13, any, anything but 13. I just don't want to be 13. Here's why they would have said that. In Jesus' culture, 
when a rabbi called a disciple to follow them, they had a phrase, they, they said about the disciple, may you be, quote, covered in the dust of your rabbi. When a rabbi called a disciple, the calling of that disciple was to follow so close to the rabbi, walking so close behind him, to see what he did, do what he did, experience what he experienced, uh, you know, live what he lived. They were to follow so close to the rabbi that the feet kicking up, up off the heel of the rabbi would cover the disciples so that they were, quote, covered in the dust of their rabbi. A rabbi could call on a disciple to do literally anything but one thing. There was only one action a rabbi could not ask his disciple to do. It was to wash feet. There was a reason for this. You see, you gotta remember, like, this is ancient Rome, this ain't 21st century America. So they didn't have, like, all these clean roads with cars. The preferred manner of transportation was obviously by foot, and if they weren't traveling by foot, the, Ro the Roman roads were covered with animals, donkeys, uh, camels, sometimes even elephants, horses, and animals produce animal droppings. And so historians tell us that the Roman roads were caked not just with mud, not just with dust, not just with water, they were also caked with the feces, the animal droppings from these animals. So for years, what these disciples would do is with open-toed shoes, they would be walking on these Roman roads as close to their rabbis as they could walk. And over time, their feet would be caked, not just with mud, but with a thin layer of animal feces. Because of this, in this culture, no one could be commanded to wash the feet of other people in a normal setting. The only person that could be commanded to do it was a slave. Not just a slave, but in, in a public setting, it had to be the lowest ranking slave. So whenever somebody was called upon to wash feet, in that moment, everybody knew who was the lowest ranking person in the room. So as Jesus picks up his foot washing basin and his towel, every single man in the room is thinking, not 13, not 13. Please, don't let me be 13. Now, one of the reasons they would have been thinking this is, remember, the disciples had been debating where the ranking was among the disciples. Two of the disciples, James and John, and the ultimate mama's boy move ever, they sent their mom to Jesus to try to establish that they would get ranked one and two in Jesus' pecking order. So in that moment, when Jesus walks forward with a foot washing basin, they knew somebody right now is going to get established as ranked number 13 last. Please don't let it be me. And the mouths of all the disciples would have hit the floor when the Lord of the universe himself, Jesus, he stooped to his knees and he put a serving towel over his arm. He made himself number 13 and he began to wash the caked feces and dirt off the feet of his disciples. Now this is the scene as we get into the scriptures and we begin to read this in John chapter 13. It says, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In this moment, the one who was above all things, stooped below all men, and the Bible says that he, quote, took the form of a servant. 
that he counted, even though he was more significant than them, the Bible says that he counted others more significant than himself. And in this one action, Jesus left an example for all of his followers for all time, a picture of the heart of a servant. This is what we are called to be, make no mistake. There is no one who is like Jesus who does not take the form of a servant. Now, can I, can I just be really honest? What I've noticed as I've been around churches, been around Christians, is that everybody wants to be known as a servant, but nobody wants to be treated like one. We'll do this really often in the church. We'll pray things like this. We'll pray, man, God, if you could use anybody, would you please use me? And then he starts to answer your prayer, and you say, well, all they ever wanted to do was use me. Everybody wants to be thought of as a servant. Nobody wants to be treated like one. Uh, Have you ever noticed this? We in the church, a lot of times, we use the word volunteer. You may never have noticed this. The word volunteer is never in the Bible. It's not a Bible word. You won't find the word volunteer in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. The Bible word is the word bondservant. The apostle Paul called himself this. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, bondservant, an apostle, bondservant of Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter did the same thing. He referred to himself as, quote, a bondservant. Some of your Bibles will actually translate that word as the word slave. Some people will see that word slave and they will think, oh, the Bible condones slavery, but you don't understand the historical context behind that word. When the Bible uses the word bondservant, it means something very different than the word slave as we think about it. Here's what a bondservant was. See, you gotta remember, um, in Roman culture, there was no such thing as bankruptcy. So when somebody, listen really close, this is, oh, this is good. When somebody had a debt that they could not pay, what would happen is they would be thrown in prison until somebody would come along and pay a debt that they could not pay to, quote, redeem them from the debt. And so when they would do that, the the, the wealthy person would come and they would pay the debt. And uh, in response to that person paying off their debt to try to repay them, the person would enter into servanthood for that person. And for up to the next seven years, that person would serve in the household of the person who paid off their debt to redeem them from the curse of their debt. And they would function around the house doing anything that they desired for up to seven years. Now, after seven years, nobody could be a servant longer than seven years. After seven years, the person was relinquished from their debt and from servant, servanthood. No ifs, ands, buts, no qualifications. They were done. But every now and then, somebody would realize that the redeemer who had redeemed them from a debt that they could not pay on their own was so generous and so kind, so wonderful. And they would realize that even after seven years of servanthood, they still had not paid off the debt that they owed, that that person paid off for them. Every now and then, that person would willingly desire to remain a lifelong servant of that person in gratitude. What they would do, according to the Old Testament law, is they would take an awl, A-W-L. They would take an awl and they would drive it. It was like a nail. They would drive it through their earlobe and they would, in that moment, enter into what was called willing bond servanthood of that person. They weren't required to serve. They were saying that they willingly wanted to serve this person for life out of gratitude for their redeemer having paid off a debt that they could not pay to free them from the curse of their debt. Now, this is what God, by the way, is that sounding familiar to anybody? This is what God calls us to be. He calls every follower of Jesus everywhere to be a, quote, 
willing bondservant. And oh, by the way, can I just say this? I think that's the least that we could do because Jesus did not take a nail and put it through his ear. Come on, somebody. He took nails and he put them through his hands and his feet. He died a bloody, horrible death on a cross that we could not pay to redeem us from the curse of the law and to pay off a debt that we could not pay by by nailing our sins to the cross and canceling the record of debt held against us. Now, this is different. The spirit of a bondservant, listen, is different than the spirit of a volunteer. See, a volunteer is serving, but sometimes a volunteer is often, it's kind of about me. It's I'll serve when it's convenient. I'll serve when it's fun. I'll serve when people recognize me and, 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 and acknowledge what I'm doing. But watch this. The heart of a servant is different. The heart of a servant is just all about the master. A servant asks the question, where does God need me? What sacrifice does he want? I'm not serving to be seen by people. I'm serving for the one who sees what is done in secret. That's why I'm serving. Uh, Many years ago, before I was the pastor at Lake Point, when I was pastoring a, a different church, there was a girl in our church who she wanted to serve on the worship team. And, you know, that, that's fine. We need people to, you know, lead the people of God in worship. And, and she wanted to serve on the worship team. And we had a process by which we evaluated whether people had this gift. Now, just to, you know, be very straightforward with you, uh, she was one of those people who she had the spiritual gift of singing, but nobody seemed to have the spiritual gift of listening to her. And so as she kind of came in, she came into the process, but she was very, very forceful, very demanding throughout the process. She thought very, very highly of herself because she had a background, a degree in vocal performance, and she had spent years performing, like traveling and performing and singing. But, but the problem was, as she got into our process, we kind of thought, man, she's a solid C minus. But she was very, very forceful because of her background and demanding to be a part of the team. And so we kind of got in and we were like, man, well, let's do this. We'll let her on the team, but we'll just turn the mic down. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we, we, we let her on and that kind of thing. The problem was her voice was so unique that even with her mic down, it was like messing up like all the blend and all the balance. So we did what we do with all, all of our leaders is we started doing some coaching and hey, what if we did this? And let's work on some things and, and let's try to, you know, let's get the volume where it needs to be. And, but no matter what we did, there was a, a pride in her. There was a, a, an ulterior motive, something in her that needed to be there and needed to be heard and needed to be seen. So as we coached her, eventually, uh, here's what we did, is, is we eventually went, well, hey, let's develop her so we've got some other opportunities. Um, there was a homeless ministry up in Franklin, you know, about, about 15 miles north of where we were. And we would sometimes send some of our worship team to serve there. And we were like, hey, why don't you go and, and let's help uh, lead worship for, for this homeless ministry? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And when we asked her that, it was like, oh, no, that, that really didn't work for my schedule. And we're like, oh, well, hey, we've also got um, worship teams that serve in the kids' ministry. Y'all, wh- you know, what could be better than that, man? The Bible says, out of the mouths of babes is praise perfected. And so we just said, man, let's, let's go serve with the kids. Oh, man, that, that really, I, you know, I don't know those songs, and that's really not my style. And what we figured out is that as long as she was up here on this stage, then she was in. But the second that she couldn't be up here on the main stage with everybody seeing her, all of a sudden, she was out. Now, here was the problem, okay? A volunteer has this spirit. I want to be seen. I want to be recognized. 
Uh, I want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. But here's the heart of a servant. A heart of a servant goes, what does the master need? I'll take the low place. I'll do the dirty job if it just helps people. And y'all, here's why this matters. Because what I've seen all these years being a pastor, here's what I've seen. This is always true. When pride walks onto a stage, God walks off. When pride walks into a church, God walks out. And if you're too big to serve little people, then you're too little to get big assignments in the kingdom of God. You're too little for that. Jesus says this. He says, what I want for my people is I want a heart of a servant. The heart of a servant is so central to following Jesus. Did you know this? The Bible actually says that it is a sign of whether or not somebody is even saved. That's how significant this is. You'll actually, I'm gonna show it to you in the passage. Look down at verse 10. Jesus, after he washes their feet, he says, you are clean, though not every one of you. And he said that because for he knew who was going to betray him. One of Jesus' disciples right after this would betray him, Judas Iscariot. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me, listen, you call me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly so because that's what I am. But then watch this. But if I'm your teacher and I'm your Lord, he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, I pointed this out. Jesus, right before he washes their feet, he points out he knew Judas was gonna betray him. Can I just point this out? Jesus washed the feet of Judas, who the Bible says was getting ready to, quote, lift his heel against Jesus. Jesus washed the very heel that would be lifted against him. Now, right after this, as soon as this happens, Judas walks out and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Right now, in 2023, as the lead pastor of Lake Point Church today, can I tell you why this freaks me out? Y'all, this is serious stuff right here. Here's why this freaks me out. Because Judas was in church. Guys, Judas had seen all the things. Like, for three years, Judas had never missed a Sunday. Judas, like, he, he didn't have, like, some lame Josh Howerton preacher preaching. He had Jesus Christ preaching every sermon he heard. When Judas had a question, Jesus answered a question. Judas saw all the miracles. He saw all the kindness. Judas watched Jesus walk on water. Jude, even, I'll go a step further. Judas actually was a part. He participated in the miracles. The Bible tells us that when Jesus fed the 5,000, he put the bread into the hands of his disciples. Judas was one of those dudes with bread in his hands, walking around, watching in his hands bread miraculously multiply as the power of Jesus flowed through his own hands. He watched all that happen, and he never surrendered himself to the lordship of Jesus. Do you know how I know that? Well, here's how. Look at, look at what it says in Matthew 26. So Matthew 26 is another camera angle of this exact moment. Here's what it says. When it was evening, he, Jesus, reclined at table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. So he says this, and in Matthew 26, it says, immediately all the disciples, they were very sorrowful, and they began to say, listen to this language, one after another, is it I, what's that next word? Is it I, Lord? So they all, as soon as Jesus said that, they're all like, whoa, somebody's gonna betray Jesus? 
And I, I think Peter spoke up first. Peter, Peter like, you know, like some people you know, he didn't have an inner voice. He only had an outer voice, anything he thought he said. So Peter just goes, he just goes, is it I? I don't think he just, Peter was probably first. He blurts out, is it I? And then one after another, 11 dudes, is it I, Lord? 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 But then skip down two verses and watch what it says when Judas asked the question. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. 11 guys says, is it I, Lord? You get to Judas, is it I, Rabbi? Judas knew Jesus as a really wise guy, somebody who could help him, somebody who could advance his cause. He knew Jesus as a good teacher. He never submitted himself to the lordship of Jesus. That is scary news. Here's the scary news, man. You can do all the things, you can read all the things, you can participate in all the stuff, you can attend every service, you can serve in ministries, all the stuff, and you can still not end up in the kingdom of God. This is what you see right here. Somebody asked me one time, Josh, did Judas lose his salvation? Nope, he faked it. He faked it. In fact, like here's a theological question. Somebody will ask, can you lose your salvation? Wrong question. Because the Bible says salvation belongs to the Lord. You can't lose something that doesn't belong to you. So can you lose your salvation? That's the wrong question. Here's the right question. Can God lose a Christian? No. So you can't lose your salvation, but listen, you can fake it. Now, you may be going, okay, well, if that's true, how do I know? How do I know if I've been genuinely converted, if I've been, become a new creation in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit? Here's how you know. If you have submitted yourself to the Lordship of Christ, you'll start to look like Christ who took the form of a servant and treated others as more significant than himself. Have you ever, you ever noticed this? Um, earlier in the New Testament, it says that Judas, he handled like the money for Jesus' ministry. So when people donated money, Judas was the one that like handled it. And the Bible says that Judas was stealing from the funds from Jesus' ministry. So instead of Judas leveraging his resources to serve, he stole other people's resources for himself. I just wanna point this out. The one who would not serve was not saved. Now, I, I need you, this is like a very strong theme that anyone who follows Jesus with a genuine faith, they become servants. In fact, check this out in Matthew 25. There, there, it's really interesting. There is only, there is one, there's one parable Jesus told that you are in. You, you are in this parable. And it's an end times parable. Everybody gets real excited when you talk about end times, okay? End times parable. Jesus said that, he said, man, at the end of all things, I'm gonna return. That's what Jesus says. And he says, I'm gonna separate everybody that's ever existed. And I'm gonna put sheep, the sheep on my right, and I'm gonna put the goats on my left, it says. And then watch what Jesus says to the sheep on his right. Then the king will say, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Watch this. So what is the difference between the sheep and the goats? Jesus says it right here in verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, I just again, you will be in this moment. When this happens, you will be there. And some of you will be the sheep on Jesus' right to whom he says, come into my kingdom because you, you, you know, you, you, I was hungry, you fed me. I was, I was naked, you clothed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something. And you will say this, according to Jesus. Some of you will say, Jesus, when did I see you? 
I was like 2,000 years after you, when did I see you? And this is what Jesus says he's gonna say. Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, so watch this, whenever you served, whenever you took a low position, whenever you served one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Now, I, I, I need you to understand how this math math. So you may be going, why did Jesus say, whatever you, whenever you served the least, you did it to me. Why did he say that? Okay. I got an, my example for this, uh, and, and for you to like, get my example for this, I need you to see a picture of my daughter Felicity at the age when this story happened. Okay. So this is a picture of Felicity at the age, right? Exactly. Yeah, just give me a good awe, man, because that's a, it's a, I mean, she literally looks like a doll at this age. I'm like, I can't believe that's even real. So cutest thing ever existed right there, man. So so here, here, this is Felicity at the age when this happened, all right? So we're at a, we're at a park in the Nashville area, and we're there, and it's like uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Eliana, and Felicity at about this age. Felicity is just starting to, like, toddle, pull up on stuff. So she's, like, hanging out on the ground. I got this little thing, and, and she's, she's playing with a stick. She's playing with a stick, and then all of a sudden, this, like, four- or five-year-old boy walks up, and no joke, happened just like this. He just walks up, real awkward, didn't say anything, and he just he looks at the stick, and he looks at Felicity, and he looks back at the stick, and he looks at Felicity again. He looks at the stick, and then he looks at me, and he at least has a second of pause. And then he looks back at the stick, looks at Felicity, and with zero warning, he takes the stick and hits Felicity in the head. Now, I just need y'all to know this. When that happened, my eyes went red, the sky went dark, and I heard a voice say, finish him. You know, it was like, I was like ready. Y'all, I, like, in that moment, I almost choke-slammed a five-year-old in that. I was going to be doing prison ministry from the inside. That's what I was going to be doing, man. I was ready. In that, I was ready. Now, and, and here's the deal. Every parent that has a kid, you know this, when somebody does something to your kid, you feel it. There ain't, there ain't no pain like kid pain. When somebody does something to your kid, you feel it. Now, in fact, I would rather the kid... The kid would have fared better if he hit me, way better. Now, let me just ask this. Why is it that when somebody does something to one of your kids, you feel it like they did it to you? Well, here's why. Because as a parent, you so identify with your child that to do something to them feels like they did it to you. And Jesus, in this passage, he so identifies with the last, the lost, the least, and the lonely, that he says, whenever you serve them, I feel like you did it to me. Lake Point Church, can, can I just give us a warning? We're in this season right now, I'm an incredible move of God, great outpouring of the Spirit, church is growing, thousands of people getting baptized. Can I just give you a warning? Let's, I wanna give us a church as a warning right now. So let me, let me set this up. There's the great commission, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. Get everybody saved, get them following Jesus. That's a great commission. But then there's also the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Here's my warning. Some churches get so focused on the great commission, they forget the great commandment. They get so focused on making sure that they save the world that they forget to serve the world. In fact, can I just like, let me just, I need to to make sure from a leadership perspective, you understand why we do what we do. This year in 2023, we will have given away more than $8 million in missions to serve the last, the lost, the least, and lonely at Lake Point. $8 million. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. But I, I need you to get this. Every now and then somebody will hear that. Like I've literally had people look at our budget and be like, man, that percentage that y'all give away admission, that's really, really high. 
And here's what people say. They're like, man, why would you give away $8 million when, Josh, you need new campuses, you need new buildings, you need new services, you need more staff. Now, why would you do that when you actually need that money to like grow your thing? Well, well here, listen, here's why we do that. Lake Point Church, it's not all about us. It's about more than us for the glory of the one who stooped to serve us. That's why we do that. And listen, it's even better than that. Jesus says that there's a blessing that accompanies people who put a serving towel over their arm and wash the feet of the world around them. There's blessing. Look at this. He says it in verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. You will be blessed when? If you do them. Now, you, there's two ways that this blessing happens. One, I said it earlier, I just wanna anchor this in our church. When pride walks onto a stage, God walks off. When pride walks into a church, God walks out. Wherever Jesus sees a church full of a spirit of servanthood, people willing to put serving towels over their arms, take a low position and do the dirty jobs to meet the needs of the world, wherever he sees that, that's where he commands the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. That church. So that's number one. But two, you just need to know, I need you to know something about your, yourself. Did you know that the maker of heaven, your maker, designed you? He literally designed you for you to be blessed when you serve. Now, I, I always love it. Uh, let me, here's my example, and then we're done. I love it when sociology catches up with theology. I love when this happens. I'm a data guy, so I love this. So a couple decades ago, sociologists, they identified what they thought were the five, originally they thought there were five, the five core needs of a person. Now they realize there's eight, they've expanded to eight. But here's how sociologists figured out people are wired. So here's how you are designed. At the very bottom, it's called the Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. At the bottom of the hierarchy, at first it comes physical needs. This is the need to like breathe, to eat, to sleep, that kind of thing. 85% of people in America have their physical needs met. Now, above that is what's called safety needs. You, you need to feel safe. And, and this is, honestly, this is a lot of what drives politics. People are like, ah, I need to feel safe. And what's gonna meet my needs, that kind of thing. And this is why you buy insurance. This is why you lock your doors. This is why police matter all this stuff, safety needs, 75% of Americans feel like they have their safety needs being met. Now above that one, this is how you're designed, is above that one is you have love needs. This is the need to belong to somebody. Uh, this is, you need affection. This is why social media is so big. You need that like, you need that heart. I need to feel like somebody sees me and cares about me. 50% of people feel like they have their love needs met. Now above that one is what's called esteem needs. Now, esteem needs is the need uh, to be complimented, uh, the need to be adored. And, you know, how you get these needs met, it can be real different between guys and girls. You know, girls, they need to look all pretty and everything's just right and everything's just right. Somebody say, oh, you're so pretty and that, that works. A dude can be all, you know, old, bald, fat, and ugly and be like, oh, here I am, world. I look awesome. You know, this is great. I, I look great, man. So it's just different, you know, different between guys and girls. But that there's esteem needs. Everybody needs those met one way or another. Now, above that is what's called cognitive needs. And this is the need, to, this is why a lot of you are here, the need to learn. You're, you're taking notes. This is why you like documentaries, you like trivia, that kind of thing. Above that is aesthetic needs. This is the need for beauty. This is why we like a landscape, painting, art. This is why you like Instagram more than Twitter. All we like seeing something pretty. Now, above that, the one they used to think was the most, the highest need was self-actualization needs. 
And this is like when, I, I like this one. This is, yeah, I'm, I, I feel this one in my spirit. This is when I win. Uh, this is when my team is the champion. You know, I get the promotion or you, you, you make the money that you've always wanted to make. It's when you get that achievement that you feel like validates you, self-actualization needs. Only 2% of people in America, 2% feel like they have their, that, that need met. Now, sociologists used to think that self-actualization was the highest need in the human heart. But then they discovered another one. And here's what it is. They discovered one higher and it's called transcendence. This is the need to live beyond yourself. The need to make a difference in the world. It's why when you do acts of kindness, you walk away going, that felt amazing. Man, uh, years ago when I was in college, I was driving to church one morning and uh, I'm driving to church and on the, on the corner of uh, the street in Jackson, Tennessee, there was, this, there was a homeless man that had a little sign that said he needed a ride. You know, my first thought was, I can't help a homeless guy, I'm on my way to church. You know, and I'm like, wait, that's like saying it's, uh, you know, I'm too hungry to eat, you know? So, I'm like, so I was like, you know, I just felt led by the spirit. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, let's, let's do it. And I just kind of let this guy in my car and, and he was like, where you need, I was like, where do you need to go? He said, Memphis. I was like, oh, Memphis. I was thinking like downtown, you know? <laughs> but I just, I was like, okay, Lord, you know, I'm here. Let's just see what happens. And, uh, and so we drove for about 90 minutes and we just ended up, talking and I learned about his life. And what I learned about this guy is that through a series of uh, addiction decisions, his life had t- lost his job, lost his family, lost his marriage. And, uh, and he was trying to get back to Memphis for one last chance to try to reconcile with his mom. And we just started talking about this. And so I drove him all the way. You know, we, I, I started running out of gas. I get to the spot in Memphis where he needs to be. And he's like, hey, this is fine. And uh, dropped him off. He didn't have anything. He had a little backpack. And, and we, we just walked in. And I, I just, you know, I just, I could tell it was, he was really touched. And he was like, man, you know, you know, you know why, why are you doing this? And, you know, I just said, hey, man, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Christ. And I just, I just wanted to serve you today. Went in a little gas station. And um, I just said, hey, man, I, I got like 20 bucks, anything you need in here. And he grabbed some donuts, some milk, and some socks. Yeah, I'll never forget it. That's donut, donuts, milk, and socks. And, uh, and, you know, as he's coming back out, I just paid for his, his little tab, wasn't much. And he just said, hey, so why did you do this? And I just said, man, I just, I just felt like you needed to know that God loves you and that he was caring for you today. A little tear popped out of his eye. He realized it wasn't the right place. He shoved it back in. And, and you know, he, he just said, man, he just said, today, the person that's really getting the blessing is my mom. And he really focused on his mom. And, you know, I'll, I'll be really honest. When I left, you know, 90 minutes, all the gas, buying the donuts, the coffee, the milk. When I left that gas station, y'all, there was a feeling. That guy telling me about the thought of him reconnecting with his mom after years of being lost in an addiction. And the feeling of thinking that day, one of, out of 7 billion people, one of God's princesses, that mom, that she was being, had a need. And all God needed was one of his young, handsome princes, you know, to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to step forward and just be his hands and his feet. Y'all, I'll be honest, if, you know, you may go, that was a sacrifice for you. I left going, who else, God? Where else? Put somebody else. Let's go, man. But you know why? Because my highest need was being met. I, I was serving somebody. And Jesus, like he said, if you do these things, you will be blessed. I was blessed in the very core of who I was. Hey, Lake Point family, you want to be blessed? Put a serving towel over your arm and stoop 
to meet the needs of somebody around you. You wanna be blessed? You do that, man. Now listen, I'll, listen, man, I'll, I'll, I, wanna be all talk, I'll, I don't wanna be all talk, no action, man. Truth is like deodorant. Believing in it doesn't do you any, any good. Applying it is what makes a difference, okay? So listen, man, I got, I got three quick action steps for you. Number one, I want you to, during this series, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, we're focusing on our mission as a church, the things we will never stop doing. Today is serve people. Number one, I want you to pray. We say, pray, go give, pray. I want you to pray that God would put people in your path with needs for you to meet this week. And just be ready to step forward and bless those people. That's number one. Now, number two is, is go. And, and go in this context. Here's what this means, man. Some of you, you've never experienced the blessing of stepping forward and serving in the context of the local church. Did you know this? You, every time you come here, you are being served by thousands of people who, who put a serving towel over their arm and stoop to wash you. Your kids are being cared for right now in a kid's ministry with hundreds or thousands of people who are serving them, putting your needs and your children's needs before their own needs. And they're going, I'm blessed in what I do. And you've never experienced that blessing. Listen, we have tons of volunteers. We have tons of them. I need this for you because you will never be happy. You'll never be fulfilled until you're getting that highest need met, the need to bless and serve other people. So here's what I want you to do. Maybe for the first time in your life, if, if you are not on a weekly uh, or a consistent uh, volunteer ministry team, a serve team, here's what I want you to do. I want you to text the word serve to the number 20411. Actually do this, get out your phones. I want you to do it. Like even if you're not gonna do it, just get out your phone. It's gonna boost my self-esteem. Like for real, do it right now. Like on. It's gonna help me feel like these people actually think about, thank you, I see that phone. That's great, man. That's awesome, man. Here's what I want you to do. If you are not on a regular serve team, I want you to text the word serve, the number 20411. Your campus pastors have identified the three areas of service at your campus that will make the, the biggest difference uh, to serve people. They, there are kids ministry, student ministry, and host teams. Those are our greeters on the way in. I want you to text the word serve. It's literally just one link, short form, short form and click the ones that you'd be willing to test drive, and all we need is name and phone number. That's it, just one little quick form. I want you to do that like before you leave. Now here's the last one, is give, give. Now here's where we are right now. From now through the end of the year at Lake Point, we're receiving what we call our annual missions offering. And that's where we as the families of Lake Point, we set aside some giving in addition to our regular giving that goes towards missions, uh, exclusively, 100% of it. And 100% of what's given in our annual missions offering, it goes to do things like plant churches in the most spiritually under-resourced cities in North America. It goes towards funding our international partners in 12 or 13 countries. Oh, by the way, one of them is Israel. It goes to all of those, help fund those partners. And the other thing it does is it goes to help fund our more than 40 local mission partners in the DFW area, serving the last, the lost, the least, and the lonely all throughout DFW. Uh, uh, ministry partners like the Genesis Center in Kaufman, Texas, and you are getting ready to see Leslie's story, who is a resident at the Genesis Center. Check this out. I had no choices. I felt like I was in the desert looking for a shade tree. I got in this Facebook relationship. This guy I met on Facebook. This guy was everything that creepy stood for and more. He uh, was an actual Satanist. I would get beat up if I prayed. 
Say, God, I do not know what love is. I need you to show me what it is. Also, can you please heal me because I can't stop using drugs. I can't stop doing the things that I'm doing. I need a miracle, Jesus. I need a true miracle. And that's exactly what he's been doing. Not even a week later, I ended up here for my interview. As I walked in through these doors right here and everybody was in a prayer circle and I saw the cross. I fell in love and I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be, I know it. When I first got here, my hair actually was very long. The reason I have my head covered, I'm just gonna show you right now, is because I have no hair. It's because I have cancer. God, not only did he sustain me, I mean, because I could not get any insurance. I couldn't get any help. And next thing you know, just like, I get help with the Medicaid, stuff that Medicaid doesn't cover. Genesis has helped me with. God took what looked like nothing and made it into a lot. So Leslie has been on her chemotherapy journey for several months now. Um, she goes regularly every Wednesday and has just now completed her treatment. Almost everybody in the house went to the oncology center, watched her ringing the bell, celebrated with her. Leslie has been through so many trials. Um, it ranges from prostitution, heroin addiction, domestic violence. We're stripping down everything that she's been going through and getting to the core issues of what she has been um, struggling with. As it says in Romans, um, renewing of the mind to actually get to the bottom of where you can start your transformation and build up in a Christ-like environment. Because when they leave, we're going into an ungodly world. So we want to equip them with everything they need to succeed. Genesis Center North Texas is free to the women that live there, but we gotta pay our bills. We're not state or federally funded. We are a faith-based nonprofit, and we need uh, donations through churches and other community groups. My hope for Leslie during this time is that she continues to dig into the Word to really understand the lives she can affect in the future, the story that she can tell for so many more. She's just gonna change so many lives and that's my hope for her. It's not who I have and what I have in my life that makes me happy, it's God that makes me happy. And I feel His loving presence upon me all the time and I wanna stay here as long as it takes to be a living example as an imitator of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Lake Point, hear this. That because of your faithful generosity in the years before with our annual mission offering, there are stories like Leslie all across Dallas, all across America, all across our world. So thank you for being a part of the giving that allows us to partner with great ministries like the Genesis Center. We are entering today into our next season of this annual missions offering. And so I want to tell you this, that we're going to ask you to take some time as a family to pray over what God may be calling you to give to be a part of that this year. And as you get ready to give, there's some ways that you can give to the annual mission offering. In the seatbacks in front of you right now, you'll find envelopes that say annual mission offering. You can use those to give in our buckets anytime across the rest of this year. You can also text the word GIVE to the number 20411, and you'll find a drop down there once you click that link that says annual mission offering. You can give in that way. But know this, that 100% of those funds go to support the mission efforts of Lake Point and the things that God has called us to step into together as a church. As you text GIVE to 20411, that's also where you can give your normal tithes and offerings that allow the ministries of 
Lake Point to happen each and every week. So we thank you for your faithful generosity every single week here at Lake Point. Now, I want to invite the ushers to come on forward as we continue to worship, as we give, and as we sing. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Slash